At the heart of the new covenant is this amazing statement. God says, None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brothers, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Coming up in this episode of Daily in Christ, we'll be talking about the greatest treasure of all, knowing God. I'm Mark Van Oos. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast as we continue in an incredible series called Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant. The New Covenant is that which God has instituted Himself. It represents His faithfulness. It represents His commitment. It represents His promises toward us. At the heart of the New Covenant is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the heart of the new covenant is God who says, I want to know you. I want to be in personal relationship with you. Well, as we've been traveling along through the uh, book of Hebrews last time, and we've been lately spending some extended time in Hebrews chapter 8, because especially verses 10 through 12, because these verses are the heart of the new covenants. It is the I wills of God. So often we can be so addicted to ourselves, to our promises, our um, commitments and so forth. But God's promises, God's commitments are notable because God is infinite in his ability, infinite in his integrity, infinite in his goodness. Once again, let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Last time, when we were in this part of the book of Hebrews, we were at Hebrews chapter 10, at the end of the verse, where the Lord said, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And we brought out the fact that that statement where God says, I will be their God, means our God. And the incredible thought that the living God, the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Paul, and Peter, and James, and John, and the saints through the ages of the church, together we are brought into this relationship with God as our God. And we talked about the power of belonging, belonging with God's people belonging with God's family, belonging with Christ's true church. This is the great story of God's amazing love. And isn't it wonderful that God brings us into his family to be named among his people, that he is truly our God and we can say that we are his 
people. Well, today we look at God's third I will of the new covenant. It's in verse 11, where the Lord says, none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brothers saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. You know, In sharing my own personal testimony, for the first 21 years of my life, I knew about God. I don't ever remember being an atheist. I believed that God existed, and I very sincerely tried to follow him. But I was mired in religion and a know about God. When it really came down to the matter, I couldn't say that I really knew God personally When I had encountered Christians who had said that they knew God personally, something burned in my heart where I I wanted that same kind of honor and privilege, knowing God personally. Well, by the grace of God, through the Lord Jesus Christ on October 3rd, 1981, I was born again and I came into knowing God, not knowing about God, but I was brought into personal relationship with the living God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I was no longer alive to sin and dead to God, but now I was dead to sin and alive to God, as it says in Romans chapter 6, verses 10 through 11. I went from the empty, dead, know about God to actually knowing Him personally, relationally, intimately, And boy, that brought life, real, eternal life into my life. Ever since then, my life has never been the same. You know, at the center of this idea of knowing God is John chapter 17, verse 3. The Lord Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room and what's been called by some the upper room discourse in John chapter 17. And listen to this in verse 3, what the Lord says. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. And he is in prayer to his heavenly Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's in John chapter 17, verse 3. You know, all throughout John's gospel is this repeating theme of knowing God, really knowing him. And eternal life, it comes out over and over and over again, these twin themes of knowing God and eternal life coming up over and over again through John's gospel. And this knowing God is a relational knowing. John himself was close to the Lord, and he identified himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, Jesus loved the other disciples, but there was something about John in his closeness with the Lord where he himself felt he identified with the reality, Jesus loves me. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved me, loves. And that's something that can be true of every child of God to enjoy that intimate, close relationship with the living God. And we can say, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. At the Last Supper, Jesus is pouring out his heart to his disciples on the night he's betrayed before he's crucified. And it was the Apostle John who leaned against Jesus' breast. He was so close. And then throughout the Gospel of John, we see this relationship that's there depicted of Jesus and 
his Father, our Heavenly Father. And Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 28, he said, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Did you catch that? Jesus said, I do nothing of myself. This is something that's repeated three or four times in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says all of who I am, and he's speaking of his um, humanity at this point. Jesus, the Son of Man, as the Son of Man, Jesus was in complete dependence on the Father. All that Jesus said, all that he did was the result of his love relationship with God the Father, that living, vibrant, personal, present relationship. And that's not just something for Jesus. In like fashion, we can experience the power and the vitality of eternal life by virtue of knowing him. Boy, that's so important. I want to say it again. In like fashion, we experience the power and the vitality of eternal life by virtue of knowing him. Let's talk a little bit about this eternal life, which comes up uh, throughout the uh, Bible, the, the New Testament. And as I'm recording this podcast, it's April. We have had a long, cold winter and there's the dreariness that we feel sometimes as winter kind of goes on and on as it has this past winter. But spring is happening. On the day that I'm recording it, the temperature is in the 70s. There's beautiful sunshine. The forsythia are coming into bloom. We see crocuses and daffodils coming up and showing their bright colors. The grass is turning green and the buds are starting to appear in the trees. Life is seen once again. And the transformation of the landscape that we see at this time of year from the browns and grays of winter into the life and vitality of spring is amazing. It's, spring is my favorite season throughout the year. Well, that picture in the natural is the picture of what God means for us. And this life is not the physical life like we're seeing in the creation, the physical order, but this is eternal life. And you can imagine if there's a tremendous power of life in the earth and we're seeing it manifested in springtime, how much more eternal life And yet I want you to connect the dots between eternal life and knowing God personally. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, it says this, And this is the testimony that God has given us, has given us eternal life. Listen to this. And this life is in his Son. That's the connecting point right there. Eternal life isn't like the force of Star Wars, you know, the in that movie uh, that uh, they created, the science fiction movie, where it's sort of an inanimate thing. No, life and eternal life is part and parcel of God himself and specifically the Lord Jesus Christ. This life is in his son. Listen to verse 12. Therefore, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. Some, how, 
someone might say, well, how do I get eternal life? Well, this eternal life, as we're seeing here by John in 1 John chapter 5, is in the Son. So it's key. If you have the Son, you have the life. You have this eternal, abundant life that is spoken of by uh, Jesus in John chapter 10. How about this in John chapter 14, verse 6? Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you see here? Eternal life is not an it. It is not a force. Eternal life is Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John chapter 11, verse 25, the Lord Jesus is at the tomb of his good friend Lazarus, who has been dead for four days. And there he meets Lazarus's sister, Martha, who says, if you had been here earlier, he would have lived. And um, Jesus goes on to say something stunning to Martha right there in uh, John chapter 11, verse 25. They're talking about the resurrection, and Martha says, yes, I believe in the resurrection. And the Lord Jesus says something absolutely incredible. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Suddenly, Martha had the incredible revelation that the life and the resurrection were not its to be obtained, dispensed by God, but the resurrection and the life was a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was standing right there in front of her. And you know what happened? The Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, said, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out of the grave alive. Jesus himself is eternal life. Now we're talking about the new covenant, and uh, they're depicted in Rome, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12, and particularly in verse 11, where the Lord uh, says and promises, none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord, which is a know about, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Again, that's in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. In Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 7, the Lord says this. He says, Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. And again, we talked a couple of episodes ago about the new heart that's part of the new covenants. This new heart has the capacity and capability of knowing God, the infinite God, personally. And the result is a wholehearted love and devotion to the Lord. It's the experience of the Lord that brings that love and devotion very naturally. How about this in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23? Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. You know, the world prizes wisdom, power, and riches. We see TV shows or maybe magazine articles that talk about the smartest people around, you know, the the things that they're coming up with. Uh, this person uh, is a brilliant a surgeon over here, or perhaps this person over there is a, is a 
very insightful author who's on the speaking circuit. But we, the world also values and prizes power of various kinds and certainly values riches. But that, all of that, is nothing compared to knowing God. Look at verse 24 of Jeremiah 9. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So what is the greatest honor that we can be, that we can have, the greatest thing? It is understanding and knowing God. And again, this isn't a know about, it's first-hand relationship, first-hand experience with God. And it says there in verse 24, the Lord who exercises loving kindness, that's the Hebrew word hesed, which is God's unfailing love. And it says judgment. God is the one who makes things right and just and righteousness, which is right relationship with God and man. You see, in knowing God in that context, all of these things, loving, kindness, judgment, righteousness, are experienced in and through our lives. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, it says this, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And the context of this verse is in the context of the world, the worst of the world system, and specifically the abomination of desolation, speaking of things that will be coming in the future. And yet, even in that context, it says the people who know their God, that personal firsthand relationship with God, shall be strong and carry out exploits. Well, let's go over to the New Testament once again. And there's different Greek words that are translated, uh, our one English word, know, or knowledge, and they represent different levels of knowing. I'd like to pull one particular Greek word that just keeps coming up over and over again. It's the Greek word epignosis, epignosis. And this word speaks of a far deeper knowing uh, of God. Of knowing anything, it would it goes beyond a know about to a personal firsthand love relationship. It's knowledge by virtue of firsthand experience. Epignosis is again that Greek word, and it shows up in Second Peter chapter one verses two and three, which says this: Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Notice there, it says that grace and peace are multiplied. They, be, they, they move into an abundance in our lives in. Now that is the Greek grammar construct of what's called the locative of sphere. It's the sphere or realm of his existence. So the grace and peace are multiplied in the realm of the epignosis knowledge that's the first-hand experience of God and of Jesus our Lord. Uh, verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge, that's epignosis again, of him who called us by glory and virtue. God's divine power, and the Greek word there for power means ability. God's divine ability 
has already, past tense, given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Wow, that's pretty significant and comprehensive, isn't it? All things, uh, whether it would be things for life or whether it would be things for godliness, our relationship with him. And, And we may say, well, how does that happen? It says, through, by means of, the knowledge, epignosis, that is knowledge by firsthand experience of him. That's significant. These, God's divine power has been given to us for all things that we need for life and godliness by means of, through our firsthand relationship and knowledge of him. We don't want to be running after those things. We don't need to run after becoming a better person. We don't need to run after becoming more Christ-like or more righteous or more godly. No, 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 no. These things uh, begin to naturally come out in the context of personally knowing relational knowledge of the Lord. I think one of the most striking passages on knowing the Lord is found in Philippians chapter 3. Take a moment, flip over to Philippians chapter 3, and remember that uh, Paul, the apostle, used to be Saul, the Pharisee. And this wasn't just any old lay lay of the line kind of Pharisee. Uh, He wasn't a mediocre Pharisee. There never was such a thing as a mediocre Pharisee. They were known for their zeal for the law, their uh, hard efforts to try to be righteous and please God. And Paul said that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In fact, he was schooled in the law under the finest teacher of the day, Gamaliel, who was the master of teachers. He had so many things that he said, you know what, I I was top of the heap when it came to being a Jew. I was top of the heap when it came to being a Pharisee. I was top of the heap when it came to legalistic righteousness. I was top of the heap when it came to to zeal. But listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Paul says, yet indeed I also count all things, those things, loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. I want to stop right there. What in the world would cause Paul to assess these incredible achievements in his life as being garbage, as being rubbish? Well, those things were utterly eclipsed by the glory of something infinitely better. And that is the excellence of the knowledge, and that is epignosis, that firsthand experience of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, I consider everything else garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. And listen to this in verse 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And again, where is this righteousness found? It's found in him. It's found through relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is found through faith in Christ. 
And may I pull our attention once again to where we are in the first place in our study right now in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, where the Lord says, they will all know me. We don't know God because we've been so passionate for God or we have pursued knowledge of God. We know him because God says, I will do this. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will it be necessary that someone teaches about me, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest. This is the initiative of God. If there's something in your heart that says, oh, that sounds so wonderful. Oh, I really want that in my life. You don't have to struggle for it. Why? Because God is the one who has made it possible. Someone might say, well, then what's my problem, Mark? Why why am I struggling in this relationship? Well, it's a lot like being in a dark room that's full of treasures. Let's say someone were to usher you into a dark room, and uh, that room was full of incredible wealth, incredible treasures, but the lights were off. Would you be able to know what's in that room with all the lights turned off? Well, no. But all it takes is lighting one light. And when that one light is turned on, you can see, oh, this is so important that we make this a priority. The seeing of these things is not by virtue of how smart we are, how much we've studied, what kind of education we've gotten. No, the seeing of understanding is made possible by God himself. And As we wrap up this podcast and the focus on knowing God and his promise in saying, not a know about, but an intimate firsthand knowing of me, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. This is a prayer that I frequently pray to the Lord with all faith. And this is the idea of coming into a greater knowledge of him. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. And I like to say it in in Ephesians 1, the first uh, several verses, uh, well, probably 14 or 15 verses, the Apostle Paul, inspired of the Holy Spirit, is talking to man about God and the riches in Christ. And then halfway through all that, he stops doing that. And he stops talking to man about God, and he starts talking to God in prayer about man. And this is the prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, he prays, and you can make this your prayer as well, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of of him. Now, this verse is the core of the prayer that uh, goes from verses 17 through verse 23, and it's that God himself would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in, that's the locative of Shvir, in the context of knowing him. It's in the context of knowing him that the light begins to turn on. It's not knowing about God or knowing about the so-called things of God, but knowing him. And that's what he's praying for, that God would give the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the context of that firsthand knowing of him, not know about, 
but relational knowledge. And then it goes on uh, in verse 18, the eyes of your, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now, it's critical because to understand the sequence of things, the first thing is the knowing of God, the relationship with God. Remember how we tied in together, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the, the living God. Well, this is the other key. Uh, all of the things that God wants us to enjoy in our Christian life are found in the context of the intimate firsthand experience and relationship with him. And so this prayer of God giving us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, what happens is in the context of that, these following things happen. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The word for enlightened is the Greek word photizo, which is, we get our word photo from it. It literally means light, or we get the word photon from it. And the idea is that light turns on. Have you ever had that experience? I'm sure you've had in your life where you're trying to understand something and all of a sudden you go, oh, I see it. I see it. That's the idea. It's the idea of being in a dark room. Someone turns on the light and all of a sudden you can see many things that you may, verse 18b, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. The calling is that initiative of God that launches your destiny. It's the certainty of God's purpose and intention that is carried out by his calling. And it says that you may know the hope of his calling. So in the context of knowing him, through the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and the eyes therefore becoming enlightened, we know the hope of his calling. Uh, Then it says, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Can you imagine the inheritance of the child of God, the king of kings? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And then verse 19 here in Ephesians 1 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power, his ability toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? Now in verse 19, there are four, count them, four different Greek power words. The first one is the greatness of his power is dunamis. It refers to the ability of God toward us who believe. Then the second power word, according to the working, that Greek word is energia. We get our word energy from it. It is the energy that causes something to happen. And then there is the third power word in uh, Ephesians 1.19, and that is of his mighty, the Greek word there is kratos. Kratos means ultimate power. And then the fourth power word is the word power, which is iskis, which means endowed power. You see, this is our God. He, through our knowledge of him, through the firsthand experience of him, unfolds through the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit, the full dimensions of everything that we need for our Christian life. And this is 
something that is very, very powerful for us as believers. It is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now, let me finish the rest of the verses in Ephesians chapter 1, which he worked in Christ. It's the same power uh, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Read that for yourself in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 23. You see, all of this is happening in the context of intimate, firsthand, relational knowing of God, not knowing about, but knowing him personally. And this is not something that you create, that you drum up, that you work up, that you strive for. No, 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 no. This is something that God initiates through the power of the new covenant, where he says, they shall all know me. In other words, believer, if you're born again by the grace of God, you're already in this enjoy it. You say, well, Mark, I'm having a hard time seeing the full dimensions of this. Well, I'm learning too. But the way that we come into a deeper understanding of these things isn't by our own human perception, our human understanding, our human ability. No, it's based upon the infinite ability of God. And that's why there is that prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. Here's something else two chapters later in Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll end with this one. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Another prayer that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now that word dwell means uh, to make oneself at home in. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. Wow, four dimensions to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. In other words, to know in an intimate firsthand way, not in a know about way, but in a direct relational firsthand experience knowledge to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, friends, that is a Bible prayer. It is God's will for the saints, and it is for you. And again, we may think, oh, that's so wonderful. I wish I could experience and enjoy this for my own life. Well, you know what? It's God's heart. It's God's desire. That's why there's the new covenant. That's why God says... They will all know me. How is that knowing made possible? Through Jesus Christ. Simple, childlike faith in him. And a reliance not upon our ability to get it, but a reliance upon the Holy Spirit who is inside of every believer to bring us into a 
deeper understanding of the realities we're already in, in our relationship with him. And it's based upon God's ability. The ability to be able to comprehend the width and the length and the depth and the height to really know in firsthand experience the love of Christ which passes all knowledge is made possible through God himself. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able. It's not based on my ability, my weak, puny ability, or your ability or inability. It's based upon God's ability. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power That's God's ability, power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, as I was going through those two verses, Ephesians 3 verses 20 and 21, it just kindled in my heart. This is what God wants. And God is the one who makes it all possible. That is is his ironclad guarantee to us in the new covenant. Again, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, God says this, None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brothers say, Know the Lord, for all shall. Do you see that word? Underline the word shall. All shall know me. This isn't the domain and the privilege of the elites. No, the Lord says, all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. You may feel like you're a nobody, but you know what? You are somebody because God loves you and God has brought you into relationship with himself through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you that you, the living God, are not some distant deity. Lord, you are not one who's lost in the fog of the unknown, but you draw near. And Lord, you're the one who has taken the initiative to bring us into personal, intimate, firsthand relationship with yourself. And Father, we realize that it's all been made possible, not because we've been so good, but because you're so good. It's through your grace. It's through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of Jesus and what he has accomplished. And so, Lord, through him, your heart's plan has been carried out successfully. Your plan that we would all know you and be known by you, the living God. Thank you, Father, that this is your heart. You've brought us in. You've brought us close. And you've brought us into firsthand relationship with yourself. Lord, I pray that you, through the Holy Spirit, would grant to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the context of knowing him, the eyes of our heart being enlightened, that we may know the hope of our calling, the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe, like the working of your mighty strength, which you exerted in Christ. And I thank you, Father, that Christ. Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, may fully dwell in our hearts through faith that we 
are being rooted and grounded in love. We are in that already. And Lord, through the Spirit, we are able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to really know the love of Christ. Father, thank you for this, the love that passes mere head knowledge and that we would be filled and flooded with you, God. Lord, I thank you that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to your power, your ability that is alive and at work in us. And this is how you're glorified in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen.